Hello and welcome to another episode of the Mostly Weather Podcast. My name is Neil Robinson and I'm here with Doug McNeil. Hello. Uh, Jeff Norwood-Brown. Hello. And Claire Whitten. Hello. So this week we're going for something a bit different. So we're looking at weather in the media in the broadest sense. So we've all come with some of our favourite examples of weather and climate in films, books, music, anything we can think of. So we'll go around the table. Who are we going to start with? Who wants to go first? Oh, Doug's looking keen. <laughs> Doug, what you got? Well, this week I'd like to talk about a film that was important to me when I was doing my PhD because I was um, doing my PhD on a similar subject, actually. Uh, something called The Day After Tomorrow. Dun, which, dun, dun. Yeah, dun, dun. There's lots of films that start with The Day After or The Day or whatever. But uh, this was a particularly sort of... Uh, well, in fact, it's the uh, director is Roland Emmerich, who's just directed the sequel to Independence Day. And, yeah, he's and a pretty Indiana. big like action film director, He's right? done lots of action films, and I think it was kind of moderately successful, and you may have heard of it, but it was really interesting for me because um, it's actually based on some sort of true science. Really? Because all I've heard about this film, I've never seen it, but it's sort of attained cult status in atmospheric science circles, hasn't it? And as I understand it, for being basically for widespread abuse of uh, atmospheric science. So Is that about a, right? There's a, there's, there's a famous climate scientist called uh, Gavin Schmidt who said he watched this film and decided to talk about, you know, to be a more public climate scientist because it was so bad. <laughs> it annoyed him so much. On that, he on wanted, that note, yeah. should we take a look at the trailer we for those of us who haven't been lucky enough to see it? We should see the trailer. All right, here you go, guys. It's got Jake Gyllenhaal in it. It had a reasonable cast. The cast isn't is it? pretty good. Yeah. The cast is pretty good. There's so lots, lots of animals so far. It's gone into them. They're all worked up today. Some lightning, that's always good. And something extraordinary. Extraordinary and disturbing, that is. You recall what you said about how polar melting might disrupt the North Atlantic current? Yes. Brilliant. <laughs> 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 Literally write the script. <laughs> There's some pretty serious foreshadowing going on at the beginning of this trailer. Yeah, it's pretty ominous. He's afraid of flying. Okay, so Jake Gyllenhaal's getting on a statement on a plane in an ominous thunderstorm at the minute. Torrential rain. More lightning. I don't know about you, but I often talk to vice presidents. Do you, do you rush in <laughs> with your jacket? Mr. President, Mr. Vice president. Well, where was the president at the time? I... Stop, I'm a scientist. Well, it's all kicked off now. So basically the world's gone completely nuts and it's eating humanity. The world's gone crazy. Every weather disaster movie you can ever think of rolled into one, basically. Well, it's the mother of all disaster movies. Cool. Sure, we had enough of the trailer. I think we, I think we know how this... Okay, that was pretty intense. My nerves are shredded. So, Okay. So the basic story is this. Uh, uh, Dennis Quaid plays uh, uh, a climate scientist who um, – he's a paleoclimate scientist, so he looks back in time. Uh, and we know that there are, are many sort of quite abrupt climate changes that have happened in the past. You, you know, climate has been uh, quite variable over the past for various different reasons. Um, but he realizes that, um, that there is a danger, and the danger is that cl- human climate change – could cause the shutdown of what they call the thermohaline circulation. In the film, it's the the North Atlantic current, I think. But this is basically a big ocean circulation, essentially, that that takes heat 
and uh, drives it from the southern hemisphere to the northern by, hemisphere. By, by moving it in the ocean, right? In the ocean. So this is one the of the atmosphere. major ocean currents, and it's driven at the North Atlantic, but it extends all around the, the oceans of the it, world. It's amazing. All around the world, and, and it, and it uh, circulates deep into the ocean as well. So, so essentially what happens is it, it, it moves um, heat from the kind of... Uh, uh, from the equator towards the poles, and it means that Europe, northern Europe, and the eastern seaboard of the US. So this is the true science bit. Uh, it's much warmer than it would be otherwise. Sort of degrees, you know, in the winter specifically, it's 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 quite a few degrees warmer in the UK than it would be if this were to shut down. But is it is it fair to say that that's only one thing? So this is. Um you know, colloquially, people talk about the Gulf Stream, right? And it's That's not right. quite the, the same thing. The Gulf Stream is a bit different. The Gulf Stream is wind-driven, but it's part of the but, circulation. But it's a similar idea. You know, it, it's, people talk about, well, the UK is temperate because of the Gulf Stream. But that's actually... That's it's, true. It's sort of too simplistic, the, right? It's definitely too simplistic. And, and this movie is too sim- so, so the other, simplistic. So we'll get to that. The other big thing that comes into it is the, is the jet stream, right? So one of the reasons we are so warm a lot of the time in the UK is because there's a kink in the jet stream, which means that it brings up tropical air masses to the UK a lot, and that's driven by the Rockies. So not only would you have to shut down the thermal haline circulation, you'd have to nuke the Rockies. Once that's done, we'd get pretty cold in the UK, right? Yes. But, but I mean, so, so um, the people from the Hadley Centre here at the Met Office have, have done some impacts assessments. So essentially they've run their models a bit like our scientist does in the film. Uh, although it takes us quite a lot longer than it takes this particular <laughs> I was say, and it, this will really happen in, in, on a Wednesday afternoon, will it? You know, it just oh, all. Oh well, I, I think in the movie it happens over. Everything happens overnight. So he runs his models overnight and makes a prediction that this shutdown. Stand back! Happen. I'm going to do science. Exactly. Yeah. And then, and I then, love then, the bit in the trailer where he's clearly been woken up by yeah. the fact that this has just happened. You know, I get calls in the middle of the D, night. Yeah. You know, your models run. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so any, anyway, so so. Um, so what happens is is uh, he gets a call from Ian Holm, who's a British scientist, who's in the a... best kind of scientist. Exactly. Uh, these are based on real people. The, the fun thing, well, part of the reason it's achieved cult status for us is that we kind of know the people who this is kind of based Get on. Away. It's based Seriously, on real people. Yeah, it is, so it who's is. Ian Holm's character not, based on? I, I couldn't possibly not say. To say. I'm not liberty oh. to say. But there are... There are uh, I could, I could. Maybe we'll talk about that offline. These are real people. Um, uh, the North Atlantic current shuts down, and and this causes major disruption across, in the movie. It causes major disruption, disruption across the whole planet. Okay, so you've got mega storms turning up. There's a new ice age. In, in reality, this is based on science that says um, that, that uh, we would. Perhaps global warming could cause uh, more rain in the North Atlantic and more melting of ice, which could shut down this. this so, so we should say the thermohaline circulation. Thermo means heat. Yep. Haline means salt. That's right. right. And these two things, so changing the temperature and the saltiness of seawater in the North Atlantic are the two things that drive this ocean current. That's right. They change the density of the water. Yeah. So, so the one circulation thing is caused by the density differences, right? So if you flood the water, the salty water, with fresh water from rain or from melting ice, then... If you if had a huge... So this is what happened in the past. If you have a huge ice sheet and you, mm-hmm. you know, melt that, um, uh, ice... Uh, Water from uh, ice is is less saline, basically, so and less dense. It's less, less heavy, dense, right? so so it flows off into the North Atlantic and sits like a cap, and it stops the circulation. And it stops happening. the circulation, right? So it stops the heat being released to the atmosphere, and it cools everything down. Okay, so this is kind of sound science, and is that what happens in the movie then? No, in the movie, oh. uh, all sorts of... Well, that's basically what happens in the movie. Do they go into that much happens, detail? Ian Holm <laughs> it happens calls overnight. up and says, it's happening, you know, and it happens overnight. Whereas... Um, 
Okay, so so since the movie came out, a lot of science has been done on this. Clearly, this you know not the movie science, but the real science. Um, there was a threat that you could have quite a large change if there was an abrupt change in the circulation, uh, uh, very quick, very quickly. And by very quickly, we mean. 10 years, maybe 15 years. Uh, and the impacts assessments that we've done here and elsewhere would say, okay, in, in the winter, maybe you'd be up to six degrees cooler in the UK. So it'd be quite cold. It would be pretty chilly in the winter. Um, but but in the like, movie, it's like, it's like New York gets kind of turned yeah, like, into like a tidal wave. Tidal wave takes out, uh, you know, yeah, the, the Statue of Liberty. Ice and oh, like so that. I love that. I love that. Uh, it's brilliant. So, so the movie's fantastic. There's a, gr- there's a great... Essentially what happens is the Americans go, wow, we need to move everybody south of this line. And they move the entire population of America to Mexico. They all just go, right? And well, it, like overnight again. They, and the British, they literally sort of sip tea and die of cold. <laughs> That's what happens. They say, well, well, stoically. Stoically, sort of, well. And, that, and there's, a, there's a scene in the movie where they sort of, to England, and yeah. sort of sit tea, and then that, I think that's the end Freeze of them. So, we oh, should definitely have a film night one night and watch this. Well, there should, must be drinking games to do it. with this film, surely. So it's great in that it basically takes some pretty solid science or some and uncertain science, <laughs> but, you know, but things that possibly could happen and cranks it up to not, not 11, I mean, cranks it up to 30. So while we're on the subject of weather B-movies, the other great opus in this uh, body of work is, of course, Twister. So, Claire, I think you've got some stuff that you've been looking up about the movie Twister. Should we... Uh, do you want to tell us what the film's about and then we'll have a look at the trailer? Yeah, exactly. And uh, actually, I think I would disagree that it's a B-movie. I've watched it again <laughs> during the week and... It's actually really, really good. If you haven't seen Twister, it's really worth going out and seeing it. So we'll talk about it a bit. Um, The basic synopsis is it starts off uh, in 1969 and uh, there's a family and there's a tornado warning on the TV and they go to their tornado shelter. And basically it's an enormous Twister and uh, the father is trying to keep them all safe and the father gets killed in the tornado. And you fast forward... uh, 27 years later, and the, the small girl that, that was there in the start is now basically a storm chaser and an atmospheric scientist. And the movie is all about how her team goes out and has this new piece of kit, and they're basically trying to uh, analyse a twister to learn more about it. Have you, have you guys ever met any real-life storm chasers? I've not met them. I've, I've seen them online. Have I've you, talked to a couple before. Sort of, yeah. I mean, I've, I've, I've met a few British ones yeah, who me too. don't have an awful lot of storms to chase, really, <laughs> which, is, which is one problem. Well, the ones I've met go to America to chase them, but the, there's this sort of, like... It is it's very popular now, isn't it? I mean, it's. Re- I've heard about chaser convergence where everybody turned yeah. up. Yeah, I mean, it's really? cool, right? Yeah, yeah, like literally hundreds of people turn up to watch a particular, and they, there's traffic That's jams. It's dangerous as well. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's just straight up cool being a storm chaser, isn't it? Yeah, like, just yeah. like I sort of kind of geek out a bit hearing about all these adventures they're up to. Right, let's watch. The oh, well, trailer. let's see the trailer. I've not seen this. Whoa! That's bad. <laughs> Whoa! There is a mystery. Strong start. Elusive. Unpredictable. More lightning. It's all about the lightning. most scientists. But for a new breed, the challenge is saving lives. The research is deadly. The laboratory is nature itself. And potentially uh, could be... Uh, it's pretty right. Well, people looking moodily into the sky. Is that Foster? Oh, it's Helen Oh, it's Hunt. Helen Hunt. Yeah. It's coming! Everybody on the ground now! Don't come on! You're 
just a bunch of people getting absolutely terrorised by a twister, isn't it? This is like an entire scene from the movie. That's really weird. Is this weird. actually like, the trailer? It yeah, is the it is. Trailer. Yeah, it is the trailer. They did them differently back then, I think. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, okay, so... so almost because it's more pr- plausible, right? It's, it's, it's actually scarier, that trailer. I, I found my pulse, you know, quickly more than the, during the previous movie, that's for sure. And the special effects are amazing. Uh, we've got to remember, this film was made 20 years ago. I don't know when the day after tomorrow was made. It but... was uh, 10 years after that, actually. Okay. So, yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm going to check Twister. So you reckon that the science in Twister is closer to scratch than up to par, do you think? Definitely. And actually, it doesn't shy away from using really technical terminology. They talk about... Um, mesoscale sounds, nice. they talk about wind shear, they talk about Doppler radar, and they don't even bother to explain what it is. They just say, oh, look, he's by the Doppler. And you're thinking, hang on a minute, did I understand that when I watched this 20 years so ago? So one of the cool things about America is they just talk about Doppler radars all the time oh, on the telly. Like the weather guys, when yeah. they're doing the weather forecast, they're just like, oh, yeah, let's check out the Doppler radar. And like in the UK, I, I've always thought Doppler radar is this really sort of niche nerdy instrument that nobody knows about. Exactly. So for people who don't know at home, Doppler radar. So Doppler effect is when the siren goes past and it changes pitch depending on whether it's coming towards you or going away but it's not just for sirens you can do it for other stuff too uh, Doppler uh, radar or Doppler lidar do they? No, radar, they radar. Must, so, yeah. so that's basically when you shoot some sound at a tornado and depending on the note of the sound when it comes back you can tell if the air it's hits going away or coming back Yeah, so they can look at right? the, the shear and the twisting and actually yeah, work so out So you can see how fast a, a tornado's twisting yeah. that's the point Without having to go up to it. <laughs> but there's, there is some genuine kind of proper science in this. And they talk about real real stuff, which, I, you know, they maybe do a little bit in The Day After Tomorrow, but I get the impression they kind of veer away from it. Yeah, yeah, but it becomes secondary. Yeah. yeah, there's this great clip. I think it's a great clip where if you listen to it, they're talking about something that's real and it's something that's genuinely used for tornado warnings, uh, which I guess the American population would be more familiar with. But... They just talk about it in the movie as though this was completely normal. Okay, should we check it out? See, now you've lost me again. It's the Fujita scale. It measures the intensity of a tornado by how much it eats. Eats? Destroys. Little, uh, Not sure that's quite true, but... F2, F3, maybe. Bet we see some of fours today. That'd be sweet. Four is good. Four will relocate your house fairly efficiently. <laughs> is there an F5? Everybody's just like very freaked out. This actually happens in the office. <laughs> if anyone mentions F5, everyone goes silent <laughs> and Tumbleweed. just sort of looks at their shoes <laughs> and yeah. yeah. But uh, I, I just really like that because the Fujita scale is a genuine scale that's used. It does go from zero to five, and at five, you know, that's that's really pretty phenomenal and the, unusual the only the only downside i could find about twister because i had a little bit of a look at it myself was the fact that they do refer to the size of the tornado as it's happening whereas that scale is only used in retrospect they look at the damage that it caused okay. so you can't use a doppler radar and say that's an f3 you know because we don't know until it's touched the ground and, and done the damage so but that was the only thing i could find that was bad science in twister you cool. know i'm going to check it out uh, there's another great uh, atmospheric science B movie. Has anybody seen Sharknado? No, I've again <laughs> I've heard le- you know legend tells of Sharknado. Yeah. Yeah. Twister was shocked. I tried to watch it. You tried. I tried. About five minutes. The climax of the film I seem to remember is when a shark gets fired at a tornado. A guy holding a chainsaw. 
And the shark eats the guy, and then he chainsaws his way out of the shark. <laughs> what? That's right. No. That's my Christmas pretty yeah. epic. And yeah. how many times has that happened? <laughs> okay. So going back to Twister just briefly, though, because we're talking about sharks. Actually, Twister has a scene with a cow in it, which probably is everybody's favourite scene. In Twister. <laughs> Does it go? Um, as it gets like slung away by the tornado? There's probably some noise, and, and the cow goes past, and uh, Helen Hunt's character goes cow, and they all watch it go past. It <laughs> is the best line ever and delivered. Then, and then it it comes is back so again, deadpan, and, and she's like. Another cow. Uh, but uh, uh, the male character uh, goes, actually, I think it was the same one. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I've got to confess, anyway, I was sat down with a piece of paper trying to work out the rotation of the twister and to work out whether they got that right. Because <laughs> it goes round one way and then it comes back the other way, oh, which yeah, is completely genuine. We were, we were over in Texas with work uh, a few years back and um, we got a particularly uh, vicious thunderstorm came rattling through. So we thought, what are we going to do? We'll get the higher car and we'll go storm chasing. So we off we went and we set off uh, chasing the storm and the rain got heavier and heavier and the hail started getting heavier <laughs> and like we started worse, get, worse idea. <laughs> we, we really started to think oh have we done the right thing here so we pulled over into a Walmart car park and just sort of sat there and cowered and I looked out the window of the car and the locals were just walking past doing their shopping <laughs> as all the Brits sat there thinking we're going to die soon you know it was just so did, nothing did to have, them did they have hail in that storm yeah. So in, I, when I worked in Colorado for a bit, the hailstones were so big that there was a, a local industry of sucking dents out your car. Oh, These right. Huge hailstones hitting the yeah hitting your car. Amazing. And uh, I don't know if you you saw it in Texas, but certainly in Colorado they had these things called mamatus clouds, mm-hmm. which are these amazing sort of undulating. Oh, you get them over clouds. here as well. You know, yeah. I've seen them here. And you know what? They mentioned them in Twister. Really? I nearly fell off my chair actually at that scene. Well, we should <laughs> post some photos of mamatus clouds it. in the show notes. All right, so is everybody done for films at the minute? There's one film, of course, which we haven't mentioned, which is The Seminal Wizard of Oz, right? That's got to be one of the most famous examples of atmospheric oh, science of and film. We just need to name check that before we move on. But um, you okay. got your ruby slippers on. I think, I think once it goes into colour, The Wizard of Oz, the science sort of goes out the window <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. I, I thought maybe a little bit before then. <laughs> Perhaps. So I've got some stuff about sci-fi, actually, and atmospheric science and sci-fi. So have any of you guys heard of a sci-fi author called Kurt Vonnegut? Yeah, so yeah. Kurt, Kurt Vonnegut's this famous sort of uh, sci-fi author from the golden age of sci-fi in the 50s. So he wrote books like um, Cat's Cradle and Slaughterhouse-Five. So, but the interesting thing, I didn't know this until I was watching a presentation by one of the um, old professors at the, in Manchester University where I did my PhD. And he was kind of showing um, pictures of himself in his, his younger days in America doing research. And he was doing it with Kurt Vonnegut's brother. So Kurt Vonnegut's brother is a guy called Bernie. Bernie Vonnegut, who was, uh, this is not to be confused with, uh, so Kurt and Bernie aren't to be confused with Bert and Ernie, of course, they're they're completely different. (laughs) That that sounded familiar. (laughs) So Bernie Vonnegut was one of the pioneers of um, seeding rain in clouds. So he did a lot of the really early research with how you could sprinkle stuff in clouds to try and, well, literally precipitate rain out of the clouds. So he did this while he was at General Electric in 1945, I think. And this is in America. Yeah, 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 this is in America, that's right. So I just thought I'd say this quickly while we're talking about Bernie Vonnegut as well. He also got the Ig Nobel Prize, which is the, the prize given to people who think of ridiculous scientific ideas, for his uh, 1997 paper, Chicken Plucking is a Measure of Tornado Wind Speed, which sounds rather good, doesn't it? <laughs> but, uh, it's a nice follow-through, I like that. <laughs> but... Um, so the, the point is, when, when this happened, when they started seeding clouds, they really thought that this was 
like a sci-fi type idea. Like the, the military were interested in weaponizing it. They thought this was the beginning of being able to control weather and use it to attack, you know, direct hurricanes into enemy forces and stuff. So, so now, of, of course, uh, we have sort of the whole idea about geoengineering, don't we? Mm. Can we mitigate climate change through geoengineering? But it doesn't surprise me that it was a military idea. Yeah, so I mean, so yeah. you, we should just say that that's not possible, but they didn't know it wasn't possible well, I mean, at it's the possible. time. I, I, no, no, but you it, can't it direct possible, a hurricane but... into an army who's coming towards Oh, I towards see, oh, I see the military side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But geoengineering is possible, it's just not clear whether well it's pretty clear that it's probably a terrible idea because of the things that but, might go wrong it's interesting so kurt also worked at general electric the, the sci-fi author as a pr guy and um a lot of the stuff his brother was going through with whether his work was going to be used by the army features in lots of ways in kurt vonnegut's work a lot of his work works about the sort of responsibilities of scientists and um you know well-meaning science being repurposed for evil and his book cat's cradle the, one of the big things is this uh, thing called Ice Nine, which is a new phase of ice that somebody discovers that's solid at room temperature. And, you know, the army are really interested in using this as a weapon to try and, you know, um, you know, they've soon realized that it could freeze all the water on Earth and, you know, get people into a lot of trouble. So, so are they both still alive? No, I think they're both dead now, I think. But um, I'm, I'm just thinking about their sort of slightly dystopian future. Yeah. And actually, because you mentioned you were going to talk about cloud seeding, I found a, an article just searching on the web yesterday uh, in The Guardian, actually, which uh, if you want to cough up £100,000 now, uh, they will cloud seed for your wedding day. So, you know, <laughs> really? these military aspects have gone full, full way through the spectrum. <laughs> Into complete consumerism. Now. Yeah, That's exactly. Great. It's incredible. <laughs> Do I've come across cloud seeding from, for, in statistics because in the statistics literature because of course it's one of these events where you don't know whether it really you don't know whether yeah. it would have rained anyway it so, just stacks the so odds I, you know it? if i was if i was feeling pretty cynical i would probably set up a cloud seeding company which you know sent a rocket up into the sky that had a firework in it that probably didn't do anything and then say <laughs> oh there we go you know it worked so i'll have you hundred thousand pounds please and uh, that would be good and if it did rain it's like well that's that's okay just don't pay me I love that. I love the difference in the ambition to the reality that you know, they thought they could, you know, manipulate hurricanes, yeah. and what they get is a bit of drizzle. <laughs> <laughs> Call off the invasion! It's raining. So, so while we're on the subject of um, literature, friend of the podcast Helen Roberts, who some of you may remember from the last episode, has submitted a little literature pop quiz. Oh no! So are you guys ready to go? Uh, as I'll ever be. Go on. Then. Okay. Question one: Name a Shakespeare play in which weather features prominently. Well, yeah. So that's the that oh, was, was the that not that allowed? Is this a trick question? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's actually like, you get the whoop whoop, you know, like yeah. on <laughs> So there's there's one more that Helen had, which I didn't know about. So anybody read King Lear? I was going to say King Lear. I must have read something oh. about that doing my research, but it's gone in one ear and out the other. I can't tell you. So what in King Lear, about. apparently, there's a big storm which divides his kingdom, and it is a representation of the turmoil that Lear puts his kingdom through. So I what love about a good literary device? What about Charles Dickens? This is an interesting one, actually. Does anybody know how climate change is linked to Charles Dickens? Ah, is this is this was it snowier back in? Is this the Little Ice Age? Yeah. Is it snowier? That's exactly back in what the... it is. So, do you guys know about this? So, you know, Dickens. We always think of Dickensian Christmases as being really cold. You know, like Christmas Carol, Snow on the ground. made famous by the Muppets, of mm. course. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, was it? No one paid much attention to it before the Muppets. Uh, the, the Thames, uh, the Thames being frozen over. And in fact, um, the reason is because when when Dickens was writing his books they were in a, a it was a solar minimum right Doug so, so it was actually climatologically cooler for you know 15 20 years something like that and this has made it into all his books so what about oh yeah we forgot to mention this in our films actually a film that uh, followed the impact of what was called the Halloween storm 
Anybody know about the Halloween storm? No, so I don't this know is the name for the storm in the film, The Perfect Storm. Has anybody seen that? Oh, that yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's, yeah, that's right. On the, in, when they're on a fishing boat. Yeah, that's yeah. right. And the massive waves, and they're in a particular fishing area, aren't no they? No spoilers. It's no Cape, spoilers. Cape Cod, right? They all I die. Think. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> So, it, it, sure <laughs> so this was a rare... I mean, it's a real event, right? Um, apparently the book's really good. Apparently it's better than the film. I haven't read or seen the film. But uh, this was a rare combination of a tropical storm system, which is the rare remnants of Hurricane Grace, and a non-tropical system that created this sort of, you know, as I said, perfect, perfect storm, storm. <laughs> metaphorical and literal, right? Um, so, yeah. I think the perfect storm's probably one of the... the, the top three. We've mentioned the other two, actually vaguely realistic. Yeah maybe has a grain of science and truth in it of varying degrees. So, so also Helen's uh, found a 2015 book called Is There a Rhythm of the Rain? An Analysis of Weather and Popular Music. Um, so which weather type was mentioned most frequently in music? Ooh, it's got to be rain. I would say rain. Travis, why does it always yeah. rain on me? I'm thinking... Sunshine. Oh, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> Such a sunny day. You're so pessimistic, you two. You're so gloomy. I can only think of the rain loves the sunshine. And I'm an ex-goth. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you guys are pretty close. Rain was the second most mentioned. So I've got a little plot here, which maybe we'll try and stick on the show notes. The other ones that feature very highly are wind, seasons, clouds, cold... Heat. So I guess it's all the ones you'd expect, really. Has somebody it? really done that? So Neil's got this lovely bar chart yeah. showing how many numbers of songs have We do our mentioned. research, Claire. I'm quite About surprised. 15 different types of weather. Frost, frost it has hardly been mentioned at all. Tornadoes, not, not many tornadoes. Uh, but rains, like, yes, yeah, sun, snow. Thunder, presumably thunder had like... Blizzard, a, blizzard, no, sorry. Presumably thunder had a peak in like 80s hair metal. Kind of <laughs> <laughs> and the cores, didn't they have one? Well, that was a, yeah, yeah that was a Fleetwood Mac uh, annihilation, <laughs> abomination. I remember the, there was a song Seasons in the Sun, wasn't there? Oh, was yeah. it Terry... Jax was that? Was oh, that? And, and it is, you know, the single most depressing song. <laughs> <laughs> I think the opening line is "Good my goodbye, my friends, it's hard to die," <laughs> and it goes downhill from there. So, on that rather gothy, gothy note, Jeff, uh, what have you brought to the party? Well, uh, rather stupidly, um, I picked Wuthering Heights. Uh, <laughs> or Kate Bush. Yeah, no, the uh, the book. <laughs> there was a book out before the song. Um, and, and Kate Bush, of course. Th- this sprang to mind when we, when we were going to discuss um, uh, weather in uh, art and literature and what have you, because I remember doing this at A-level, and it was only when I came to research it that I realised that was probably about 25 years ago, <laughs> and I can't really remember much of the story, but it involved an awful lot of weather. Um, and an awful lot of storms as well, actually. And uh, uh, this was apparently a reflection of the the characters. So um, uh, when it was written, uh, the characters uh, were enhanced by whatever the weather conditions were. So you actually read it. Um, the pe- uh, character Heathcliff is meant to be, you know, this wild, uh, wild bloke who, who bit, um, bit uncouth, shall we say, um, and. Whenever he enters the story, there's always a storm blowing, you know, on the moors. And Is that true? Yeah, yeah. And this, this, was, this was all symbolism. And the, and, the, and the wildness of the moors was also meant to be uh, reflect Kathy and, uh, sorry, Catherine and Heathcliff's uh, characters. Okay. Um, so, um, and then you have uh, uh, other characters that come from, uh, I think it was Hindley, um, who's, a, who's a 
chap who comes from the southeast, and um, he can't handle any of the weather, so he's, he's not in tune with the with the rest of the characters. Exactly that. Yeah, he was a city boy in that. So yeah, and he fails so, it. Do you yeah. know what the literal the literary term for this is? I, I'm really pleased that I remember this from school. So I think this is called pathetic fallacy. When you have, you know, you go to a funeral and it's raining and things like this, it's when you take. Uh, characters' emotions, and you you give them to something else in the story. I never knew that about Wuthering Heights specifically. That's yeah, interesting. Yeah. I remember we, we studied this, and I think we only got up to chapter one because we had to analyse everything <laughs> about it. You know, so um, it did occur to I me this week that I, I, I haven't finished the book yet, so I don't know how it ends. So don't tell me. You know? <laughs> Time to go back and yeah, pick it up. But they probably all die. You know? <laughs> <laughs> So, Jeff, you've got some tantalising-looking pictures as well in front of you. Tell us about what you got there. Yeah, so one of my... Um, I'm, I'm not particularly into art, but, oh. uh, one, of, <laughs> but one of my, one of my favourite artists uh, is John Constable, and, yeah. it, and it's because of the clouds. If you ever look at a Constable painting, he does clouds so well. You could actually do an observation uh, based on his pictures, you know. <laughs> well, you've talked about, you know, so, uh, yeah, can you, can you describe the... The amount of cloud in the sky. Jeff, what, what would you give this one? For, How many octaves? So, many octaves? Yeah, so, well, that's that's clearly four octaves there. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Except of, with authority, of, I of cumulus humulus there. So probably post cold front you know, <laughs> gone through there. So, uh, but the amazing and some thing cows that we and we have cows. Why yeah. do cows feature <laughs> in there? Uh, but the amazing thing is drawing these sort of transient things, right? So he's drawn all these amazing clouds in tons of detail, but. I mean, unless he's a bloody fast painter, he can't have done it in the time well, the clouds no, and, there. And, and funny enough, I, I did a little bit of research on this, um, and he actually did, uh, for about three years, studied clouds, and he oh, just really? painted clouds, and that, that's why he's so good at it, you know. So uh, Only in Britain, so they're, they're all British landscapes. They're all they? British yeah. clouds, yeah, yeah, you know. So, um, But, yeah, I mean, you, you, the, the clouds are, are very representative of what you actually see, whereas if you look at, say, like Turner, mm. much more impressionistic, mm. and uh, the, you say Turner painted with light... Mm. And you know, as a as a meteorologist, I look at those paintings and think that's rubbish. <laughs> oh, really? That's yeah. interesting. No, so the turn ones yeah. don't. They just the no, same impression. As no, no, because as I say, it is impressionistic. Whereas Constable is, uh, you know, is really getting the detail right. You know. So, so. when was Constable around? Do you know? Um, the answers I don't know then. Eleventh um, of June, seventeen seventy-six, to the thirty-first of March, eighteen thirty-seven. Off the top of my head, well, remember. <laughs> when, when no notes there at all. When, when did Luke Howard do his cloud stuff? Oh, we've talked about this. Yeah, we have, haven't we? I wonder whether they were sort of almost contemporaries. I wonder if this was a period uh, where you know people were thinking about these things a bit more, and you know. I think it must have been around that. Was look how maybe in the mid 1800s? I think that's right. I think, I think so. Something like that. So, so maybe towards the end of yeah. For for those who don't remember at home, Luke Howard was the guy who started thinking about how to categorise these different clouds, and he came up with the categorizations that we use today. But again, again, you know, with, with the likes of Constable, if you if you read up on some of his pictures, there's some of uh, Salisbury Cathedral, and it's all symbolism again. You know, there's there's storm clouds passing through, and then you know you have a graveyard symbolising symbolising death and and then the rainbow symbolising hope and all that sort of thing so it's um, much story within a painting Yeah. Yeah. so what about music then I've got some classical music about climate change which was pretty cool so if if any of you guys seen this somebody took um, the climate temperature record and turned it into string quartet music really? yeah yeah, have you seen this before? it sounds pretty cool I've never heard this so 
Yeah, check this out. So we've got a string quartet, so that's four people playing string instruments, and each one is uh, representative of a different uh, continent, I think, I seem to remember, and each note they play starts at the beginning of the temperature record and goes through to the present day. I think I know how this is going to (laughs) go. Yeah. So So do the the notes imply temperature do we have a so yeah so exactly so i think it's the pitch of the note gets higher as the temperature gets higher so let's give it a spin okay so this is 1884 1885 1886 1890 so we can see here the cello is playing the equatorial zone at 25 26 degrees surprisingly harmonic so uh, I, st- I did music a level at school i'm pretty sure they've had to massage it to get it into a key <laughs> okay at the same time it's still quite cool mid latitudes we're looking at now is a violin so that's 15.1 degrees in oh can't tell you what year because they're taking the year off the screen 1922 1923 well, we should get a kick there and it should flatten out, flatten out just after the war and then kick again in the 80s and 90s. Oh, well, let's see. So 1930. So our high latitudes are hovering around about one and a half degrees. So we're at 1945. So should we skip to the end and see what it sounds like towards the uh, yeah, let's modern era? They're going up to... Okay, so 1985 now. Okay, that's getting quite high-pitched. We haven't even got to 2000 yet. He's going to run out of room to go in another 20 years, isn't he? <laughs> the composer. That, that may well be the point. Yeah, uh, oh... I'm too simple to think of things like that, Doug. Yeah. <laughs> so that's fascinating. They, of course, they, they split it out by region there. So you can yeah. see different regions. So the Arctic particularly has warmed really fast over the past century, uh, whereas, you know, bits of the ocean or whatever will have warmed a bit slower. Yeah, I mean, it's fair to say that that's not a scientific visualisation or representation. It's not meant to be, right? It's a bit of art. But um, I, I quite but also like very it. beautiful, yeah. Yeah. yeah it's good. So who else has got stuff on the subject of music then? Well, there was, um, <laughs> funny enough, the uh, shipping forecast features in uh, quite a few songs, um, uh, clips and what have you, but the, I think the uh, most prominent one I could come across was a, a B-side um, to a Tears for Fears um, uh, single. Uh, was it Everybody Wants to Rule the World, you said? It was the B-side to that. And it's called Furrows, and it is basically just the shipping forecast set to music. <laughs> All right, let's give that a whirl. Like you can hear that tears from fears kind of. You can, can't you? Has that vibe, uh, doesn't it? <laughs> is it? In fact, is it? Is it just the same song? But. <laughs> <laughs> right, I'm going to skip to the middle. You ready? I promise you, it's in there. <laughs> Are you sure? Oh yeah, listen. 
do we get some kind of uh, Royalty. royalties for that? Surely, surely this is, uh, you know, a co-credit on the song would be good. Because it's written, we've, we've found that it's, you know, written by our forecasters here, right? Shipping forecasters. Who's reading it as well? That's interesting. So I'm surprised actually because the clip's called Pharaohs. It's a play. Which I guess on is a word, reference yeah. to <laughs> Pharaoh, the region yeah. Pharaoh, yeah. but actually it's called it's spelt Pharaohs as in the as, Egyptian. Of the Egyptian style. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so Pharaoh is one of the kind of shipping forecast regions that we use, isn't it? It's slightly unusual for a band as big as Tears for Fears to it is something a like that. I guess it's a B side, yeah. It's the eighties, a lot of stuff happened. Yeah. <laughs> That's quite cool so, though. Can anybody think of any other songs with a shipping forecast on them? I'm sure. I was, just, I was just looking it up, actually. I, I know there's, there's some poetry. So I'm, I just get the John Ketley is a weatherman song. Then whenever we oh, talk no, we about do, the we weather and you know, music <laughs> and things like that. But I think we should skip over that one. Probably. <laughs> anybody else got any films, any books, any other stories? Everything out of stuff? Well, there is one thing that, that occurred to me. Um, the Simpsons. <laughs> Talking of high art. And the Simpsons. the Simpsons Sky on the title sequence uh, for every episode, they have uh, um, an image of Cumulus Type 1, <laughs> Cumulus Cumulus, uh, in a blue sky. And that's actually become a phrase now. It's Simpsons Clothes. Simpsons Sky. Yeah. And it, it actually represents, um, and it is used in, in, in meteorological, ugh, start that again. And it is used in in, in meteorological circles um, to describe a particular type of sky. It's really, by, pro- by professional meteorologists. By profession- Look it up on Urban Dictionary. What is wrong with cumulus type one or QQ? Simpson sky sounds better. <laughs> it I mean, don't get me top. wrong. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> that reminds me of the Thagamizer. Have you heard of the Thagamizer? Oh, the Thagamizer. Yeah, What's the Gary Larson. A a Thagamizer is is um, it's a collection of spines on the on the tail of a Stegosaurus, right? Which yeah. we use for defence. Um, but there's a Gary Larson cartoon where the guy's saying, uh, and this is called the Thagamizer after the late Thag Simmons. He's um, <laughs> <laughs> a, a caveman scientist, you know, talking about classifying. But brilliantly, brilliantly, it, the, the, it, it, it's become. A technical term. All the all the paleontologists use it. I just love that idea of the yeah of using it. Cool. Anybody else got anything else? The only thing I have, and this is a, a book. I don't know that we've talked about. Oh, well, we've talked about Wuthering Heights, but this is more um, a kind of a factually based book. Uh, and I found about out about it from some Americans when I was on holiday last year, um, and uh, looked it up. And it's called Isaac Storm, and uh, it's. Subtitle is The Drowning of Galveston on the 8th of September 1900. Oh, I've, I read about a previous book about that years ago, uh, and it was a terrible disaster, wasn't it? It was an unmitigated disaster, a huge loss of life, thousands of people in Galveston. What they, happened? Just a big storm. Uh, basically, the deadliest hurricane in American history um, came across uh, from Cuba and then over Florida, and they didn't really believe that they'd ever get into the Gulf of Mexico back then. And obviously we don't, didn't have any of the observations that we have now. And um, it struck them almost without warning. Um, and if you read the book, there's lots of sort of political history in there about the history of the American Weather Service and things like that, which is actually really fascinating. Um, but it was it's sort of on a bit of a, a spit and it got caught between the uh, the the sea. I can't think of the word. What's the 
the swell, the surge, the, the, surge, uh, thank the you, storm Doug. surge, yeah, the yeah. storm surge coming in, uh, not only from the Gulf, but also because it was on the edge of a river as yeah. well. There was water coming in from both sides, um, and then the wind struck and just sort of obliterated all of these very, very low, very low lying, a similar set, a setup in some ways to Hurricane Katrina in New yeah, Orleans, yeah, I yeah. Guess, yeah, yeah. So that, uh, we that, had more warning of that, but still a very a vulnerable area. So that was in September 1900. So Isaac's Storm by Eric Larson sounds like a central reading for weather nerds, doesn't it? It is, I'd recommend it. And he uses some beautiful phrasing in there um, and the way he sets up the scene actually kind of takes you through the science, but in a very literary sense. And um, Yeah, very educational, but well worth reading. Person. All right. So I think that's about all for this week. Um, we'd love it if you could get in contact with us. You can tweet us at MW underscore podcast or tweet me at Neil, N-I-A-L-L, Neil Robinson or Doug. Uh, at Doug McNeil. Anybody else? Uh, at Jeff N. Brown. Um, and I'm on at Claire S. Whittam. Cool. And if you go to the Met Office website, you can find the show notes for this episode. So we'll put up a bunch of links of the stuff we've been talking about and some of the pictures Jeff brought along. And this lovely graph of the number of times that words are mentioned in songs. <laughs> that's um, the key reference. I yeah, that's there, right. Yeah. All the good stuff. Uh, anything else we want to mention before we go, guys? I think that's it. Oh, yeah. You can email us at, well, you can email us at mostlyweather at metoffice.gov.uk. And you can get to the podcast through the uh, usual channels. Usual channels. Through iTunes. The, uh, through, through the Met Office website. Okay. Well, thanks very much for listening, everybody. And uh, see you next time. Bye. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.